Hello, hello. Welcome to the Procurement Games Podcast and Open Conversations, where we post the question, is the field ever leveled in our favor? Of course, we are talking about procurement and contracting of minority, women, and veteran-owned small businesses deemed to be the underutilized firms in government and private corporation contracting. So, my name is Arlen Pingle, and I am a proud Filipina-American entrepreneur. I lead Mackey Company, a strategic consulting organization focused on procurement supply chain management. We basically help government agencies and private companies design race, ethnic, and gender-conscious contract policies and procedures. More importantly, we help folks like you build capacity, capability, and sustainability. Now, as I mentioned before, this is not a platform to gripe. We are sharing your stories and experiences, but we also want to share how the system works and more importantly, how to beat it. And if we can find a way to generate solutions that make sense for you, we will do that too. Today, we have another story about the dark side of procurement. We are going to dive into the experiences of a historically marginalized business. With me in our studios today is Mark Vargas, Director of Foresight General Contracting and Consulting. Welcome to the studio, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well, and thanks for having me. So I have to ask, of all the careers available out there, what made you go into land surveying? You know, the survey and the earthwork, I found out were my passion. Being in high school and the career week or whatever and looking at careers and uh, taking an aptitude test and marking C on every one of the boxes to see what would happen and it comes back and, and you know, I think ambulance driver and land surveyor were one and there was a picture and I, I still remember the picture because I, I, it's still idyllic, you know, my idyllic days. <laughs> there's a river in the background and there's rocks and trees and you're, and you're in, yeah, and there's a guy there's and I'm like, that looks exactly like what I want to do. And then I look down, like, oh, that's how much they make? I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> One of the things about land surveying is you work with a subject matter expert of a different profession on, on so many levels, whether it's a boundary with a legal person or a, a contractor or even a homeowner or a business owner, or compliance. So, you know, that's how, you know, it was, it really suited me and my, my general interest aptitude, you know, just kind of progressed, you know, until college. And I honestly, I was pursuing something completely different. And I, I took a, a job in the mortgage and finance industry and I lasted three weeks uh, when I realized that I just, uh, I don't do well indoors. Mark, it sounds like you weren't cut out for a desk job. I had started in the land survey interest, industry uh, at the end of the 90s. Uh, right as GPS and electronic total stations were coming in. And because I'd had some experience pushing button on some music equipment, it was very easy for me to understand how the equipment worked. And I advanced based on my understanding of the equipment rather than my understanding of the industry, which, you know, hilarious now, probably not as funny then. Surveying makes a lot of sense because it's not just you and the land before you, right, Mark? It's actually you being able to interact with other folks in the industry. And that's really what makes surveying unique. Now, let me pivot a little bit from here and ask, what got you into entrepreneurship? What was your inspiration? It runs in the family. My dad had a business, a real estate and insurance business. I have a brother that uh, owns a computer business. Uh, my other sister is 
owns an accounting business and a brother that's a real estate broker. So I would feel left out if I didn't have my own business. Uh, and being the last, you know, the baby, you know, you have to, you have to Step comply, <laughs> comply. So, you know, that's it. And I have had uh, a lot of construction and experience. And honestly, it just, it, it kind of, kind of happened. One of the neighbors growing up, parents were in the roofing business and I would hand out flyers for McDonald's and uh, all of a sudden after handing out flyers I noticed I was up on the roof doing stuff and uh, and it just kind of progressed. You know it's funny because I'm sure our listeners can absolutely relate to your story being that we find ourselves doing what we fall into right and I always find it fascinating, Mark, to learn how we as individuals become who we are. So now I'm curious to learn about foresight. What exactly does foresight do? Improved processes uh, in already established, you know, workflows. You know, so if you have a, a survey project or a survey issue and you know currently my my work consists of mostly like I'm a band-aid I'm coming in and somebody had a bad permit or a bad survey and they're kind of at their wits ends and they want to talk to somebody that knows something about survey that isn't going to talk down to them I, I get that call and then I end up out there usually working on something on that and then in, in the case of the more of the construction it, it really ends up being uh, similar somebody will be distressed with uh, whether it was some previous contractor that didn't do some work well for them or even, you know, dealing with their insurance companies or, or, or the municipal authorities. You know, I just kind of come in and honestly, I, I, I don't do anything other than provide a buffer and explain to them, like, I'm really sorry, but, you know, you didn't do this and this is the consequences. And I'm finding that it, it, there's, a, there's, a co there's an industry out there for it. You know, I, I, could, I could do that. And unfortunately, though, that type of, you know, Band-Aid and rescue mission, uh, having to just be the, you know, the person that reaches out, how, it, it's exhausting because I think I become... Uh, you know, empathetically attached to them. You know, it's like I start petting their dog and, you know, like. And, you know, the thing is, as minority women and veteran-owned small businesses, we know how to do the work. And our deficiencies lie in the administration or the management of the processes, keeping track of the permits and the licensing, let alone try to understand how to get one, right? Uh, because it's not just walking up to the desk and saying, I need a permit. Um, there's more stuff that's required there. And sure, that may be a very vague statement, but there are intricacies tied to that. Most of the subcontracting work that we do we don't really necessarily pay attention too much to compliance. We're just more focused on quality of work and the execution of work. And as MBEs, WBEs, veteran-owned businesses, we know or we learn the hard way about what is required. And so when we look at organizations like Foresight who can show us how things need to get done and do some risk mitigation, right? prevent some of the stuff that could potentially put us at risk 
it's it's definitely something that is important and very much needed in our community. I'd really like to encourage everyone to connect with Mark Vargas on our website at procurementgames.org and see how you can improve the current processes you have for administration and compliance, but most importantly, risk mitigation, right? Uh, as Mark had alluded to, you know, folks call him if there's a challenge in the processes, and if he's familiar enough with it, he can certainly help. Let's shift gears a little bit, Mark, and talk about the journey of challenges that you've faced as an entrepreneur. How did that look? You know, this monumental task to overcome was jumping away from my land survey business into the exterior and back into like the guttering and remodeling like I had the experience. You know, even though I had done the work years ago, I did it during a boom time when, you know, you pull up the truck outside of a house in a development in Lakeville and I'd have five other jobs. The system is gonna put you in a box. And if, uh, if the system is gonna force you in a box anyway, Let's go in there willingly with all the packaging already done so that when you enter the system, you're ready to go. And you know exactly where the contract is, where the spend dollars are, where all of that. Because if you don't and you're just going to throw 10 darts onto that board and hope you hit a bullseye, yeah, you're not going to win very much that way. And there are plenty of us who will continuously just submit, 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 and then go, well, why am I not winning? And I'm frustrated and I'm bailing out. I'm always amazed at how uh, there's bleed over from industry to industry entrepreneurial. And honestly, most things, they appear that they be formulaic in some way or another. And uh, I'm always looking for the formula. And we know that every business has to do their marketing, has to have some strategy, has to understand where the money is from, but most importantly, provide that customer service. It's, you know, the primary colors yeah. of, of business, of, business. Of, of entrepreneur. Yeah, they're all they're all same, but you know, those subtle hues that, you know, can be the difference between uh, success and, and failure, failure. right? <laughs> like just to, for instance, if the color of the inside of the Starbucks had not been that one color, you know, would would we be all choking down ventes, grandes? <laughs> And can we say Starbucks without a, we're gonna <laughs> get, you're not going to get sued? Absolutely okay. not. Okay. Absolutely. Well, we hope not because that's a great plug for them. The game is much different. You know, you do have to do the advertising. You do have to do all these other things. And I, I, sometimes I just, it was hard for me to reconcile and change those things. Let's talk about the challenges that you faced in some of your decision-making process as an entrepreneur. The insertion of emotion in, into decisions, I found hurt hurt me in the in the wallet and and you know just uh, energy wise. You know I, I can't you know let's say emotional, but I, I just remember, you know the consequences of some of the decisions that I made, uh, just really weighing heavily on me. And like, they were decisions that I made personally. But then again, I also remember making personal decisions that might not have been good, but that felt great afterwards because it was either the termination of a, of a relationship that wasn't working. But, coming back to you know just the system of it all and you know the access to capital I think as an entrepreneur and you're looking for money and you're not getting it you know you tried one place or two place you start to get the sensation like this is awfully invasive to to break open a vein for everybody that I get on the phone with only to hear that uh, you know, I can't help you, but if you call me back in three months or you, you have, you know, four signed contracts, you know, that type of thing. So I think even just being aware that 
yes, you are going to be in a system. Yes, you are going to be probed. You're going, people are going to ask you for information about yourself and your business that you need to share and you need to be truthful about. And I think in, in some communities, you know, there's a sense of pride. I mean, I'm sure all communities, I've, I've seen that it doesn't matter what ethnicity is. I've seen uh, people in my own family, I've done it myself, where I've been too proud to admit that I was wrong and, um, and you know, suffered from not, it, it, now I just admit that I'm wrong all the time, but it, that's not working as well as I thought it would as initially, so. Well, and the thing is, it's, it's again, we, we go cultural, we'll go gender, we'll go, you know, ethnicity. It's, it's, it's across all of them. Um, why do you all want to, why do we want to share that information about us? Um, and for minorities, women, disadvantaged small firms, why do we want to disclose all of that stuff that they're going to think and judge yeah. as negative uh, for us, right? So why, why, why do we want to tell you our dirty laundry? Because you might use it against us. So we're not just, but again, the system isn't designed to adjust to that. Now, not saying that it's 100% because there are organizations out there that are open, right? They're open to working with our community, working to, with women, veterans, and small businesses. But the, the general consensus, maybe 70 to 80%, right? I'd say 70 to 80% are still operating under the same rules and regulations that still make us feel that they're really more against us than they are for us. Oh, that, that is something that uh, is, is pervasive. So in your line of work, obviously you're, you're coming in making solutions. You're also an advisor to these small businesses, right? So how do you connect with these small minority women-owned, veteran-owned businesses? And how have you included them in, in your own practice? Right? Because we always look at the landscape as a whole to want to include us, but we must also include our own. So what, what, what has that, how, what's your outreach like and, and, and how have you been inclusive? So I am a, a notorious BSer and, 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 and you know, I, and, uh, I'm just brutally honest and I think brutal honesty coming from somebody that is trying to get you to smile even though you're 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 facing something difficult i think that's it and you know and it, it must come from childhood you know the last of six kids like you know being the uh, being the entertainment you know it, it's fine that's exactly what it is but you know i'm gonna have to give you a copay for this visit <laughs> here today so uh gravitate towards uh minority families and, and businesses you know, Mark, you and I share that passion of um, empathy and, and heart. And that is, it's easy for us to try to fix everything. The financial model doesn't give us opportunity to fix everything. How has that been harmful? Because we as, we as minorities are passionate, right? We are a social... Um, entity within ourselves because we are about the greater good and what's right and what's wrong and um, if we just worked for a common solution everybody will win but that's not the financial model you know it, it isn't the financial model but again we 
call ourselves entrepreneurs and what entrepreneurs are known for is coming up for better ideas and you know the stoics talk about those things didn't happen to you they happened for you and that formula for the funding for the money it's out there the dollars are out there we just have not figured out the methodology to capture them i tell you what if we had that magic formula or that magic bean that just made us profitable all at once. But barring those two elements, who has been in your ecosystem that has supported you? And Foster Hackett and my dad. My, my dad's saying, you're doing it backwards. And Foster's like, yeah, you're going to lose money. <laughs> I love that you have two people, the voices in your head, that's always giving you that guidance uh, along the way. So let me shift again here real quick and ask about your network because I want to know how exactly did you build that because that's really important in our realm right uh, as a small business owner for me being born and raised here and 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 developing the relationships and and just trying to get out and meet as many people as I can I'm always amazed that you know like hey I just had a meeting with the mayor of Rochester it's like you know it's like why me you know and what I would encourage is get out there and network whether it's you know a local community agency you know Mackey company is in my opinion you know the you're a DBE and you're looking to you know navigate procurement or government contracts it's 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 the place to go the DBE program in the state of Minnesota you know it predates your presence you know there was a feeling or a sensation you know I think there was a revitalization and, and I've seen it you know and I you know talking to other people that I've known for years you know and if your name comes up it's like you know oh yeah she's you know it's so it's those types of things that the the small business needs to get out and they need to get outside their comfort zone I know you, you turn on the TV and you know the mainstream cable and the general populace which is say you know the 50 to 60 percent of the white community in the, the Twin City or Caucasian community hey get outside your comfort bubble so with regards to you as a minority-owned small business, how has procurement impacted you? What has, has worked and what hasn't worked? You know, of financing and initially awareness, I entered the business world with foresight thinking, there's people at MnDOT know me, I'm going to give them a competitive bid. It's a lock. Once I get the contract, I got the money and I'm, I'm rich, right? You know, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it just the 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 pause in between you you getting the money and the just navigating the procurement somebody asks you for a qualification statement you're like I don't know what that is, you know, but even even just the the, the lexicon of, of business, you know, coming from a person that spent the majority of the time in the field, you know, somebody like, oh, didn't you read the RFP? And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, what's an RFP? I read it, you know. So it was, you know, a, a steeper learning curve than I had anticipated. But beyond the, the challenges of just understanding the procurement component of it. You know, Mark, there's some truth there because there's a lot of minority women and veteran-owned small businesses who don't really understand, you know, some of these documents that they need to put together in order to qualify or at least illustrate what their capabilities and their capacities are. But it's not just that, because there's a lot of folks who don't really understand what a disadvantaged business enterprise really is. Some of the notions and the, the concepts of 
what DBE is, is this foreign born person and I'm not. So I think sometimes they're like, well, why are you a DBE? What'd you do? You know, and, and also too, how are you disadvantaged? You grew up playing hockey and you lived in the suburb. Uh, I agree with you there. There are a lot of us who don't really understand what a disadvantaged business enterprise or DBE is about. And so, you know, there's a lot of assumptions with regards to who's qualified or who's not. You, you, we can't continue in our society to hold these stereotypes about what a certain person who does a certain trade looks like. You know, this is probably a good segue to ask, what are some of the issues and roadblocks that you've faced in the industry? And, you know, what has been effective? project management training that they take for granted and they use as a guide for the majority of their decisions doesn't exist in the minds of the entrepreneurs that are not in the know or raised on this. When we met yesterday, I think, you know, Tracy Jackson from Mindad about, you know, how the DBE programs over these years have changed. And I think it was, you know, an idea with the greatest intentions, but the, the rollout and the implementation has been this 30-year effort, it, you know, I think it's had its ups and it's had its downs. And definitely when Mackey Company came to town, um, you know, I think I personally felt like, oh, I don't know if this is really doing much for me. And I think, you know, I think I attended one of your classes and I learned a whole bunch and I was invigorated. You know, it also, you know, it was uh, like a revival, a tent revival that you're having here. Because you work with, you know, DBE minority and smaller businesses, that support system outside of their family and their core unit, it, it, it really is, it's needed. You know, it's that uh, emotional cheer. Maybe it's, you know, one of the hit facets, in, you know, in in being successful is having outside interests being interested in your positive outcome or welfare. So so for our businesses, Mark, what would you advise them to do moving forward? You know, I, again, I'm, I'm a, a person that has just received so much good information, good advice, well-meaning uh, help, uh, you know, unsolicited help. I don't know. I must look like I need help. And but you know, I think sometimes when people are are, are getting help, we have a tendency like you know, I think I kind of or, or listen over that. And I think I, I may have done some of that. I know that I did that more in the past. It's something of a maturity process. I think a lot of understanding, you know, how to be a better listener. And then that was that. That's really. I would say that if I had to start over, the the better listener part. It seems to me in my, you know, perusing of the uh, business self-help universe in YouTube that, you know, that those are the things that you hear over and over. And, and you know, those people that are saying those things that are truly successful, they, they know. And I think it's these same uh, struggles that everybody goes through, you know, but this DBE struggle is, is definitely unique because culturally, sometimes people that aren't from the United States view regulation and compliance as impediments to the success of their business or they b believe like who's the guy that I get to look the other way they're, they're, I've seen this absolutely and the message that you know you're better off just learning the rules as best as you can the way that they are because the better understanding you have of the rules you'll know when you're breaking them well, and I think um, for you, my guidance would really be the strategy. I think you can support the process for your decision making, support the process for the, the target of your services, um, how you're going to generate that capital. 
I think if we focus that, I, I think that's where you're going to get your wins and get you to transition um, back into the, the swing of things, right? Um, and really get you positioned for that box that you're about to enter in the foray. It's, it, there's no doubt you have the knowledge. There's no doubt you have the network. And there's no doubt you don't understand the process. You do. So now it's a matter of going, you know, taking the time to really look at the strategy and identify, you know, the steps that, um, you know, you should take for the, that decision-making process, the anal analyzing of opportunities process, and then the access to, to capital. And with that, I'd like to say thanks to Mark Vargas of Foresight General Contracting and Consulting for sharing his story. To our listeners, I'm sure Mark's story resonated with you. We hope you are encouraged to share your story with us to bring to light some of the barriers we face as minority women and veteran-owned small businesses. Next week on Procurement Games Podcast and Open Conversations, we will host Sabrina Jones, CEO, founder, and master mixer at SJC Body Love. Sabrina will be joining us to share her story of success and challenges in bringing her products to market. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't just go after the low-hanging fruit. Look up and see the rest of the tree filled with fruits getting ready to ripen. Strive for that, my friends, and strategize for the win. Until next time.